Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Now take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I enjoy the senior saints immensely, and um, we have a great time in, in fellowships together, luncheons together, trips together. And um, in fact, my wife and I are going to go out in about a week or so and, and to investigate another trip that we want to take with senior saints sometime fairly soon. And uh, so it's, that's always a great opportunity and a great ministry. When we had our luncheon a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a, a pizza buffet luncheon. It was delightful. We had a great time. And, uh, and we ate well. And um, we always eat well. And um, so anyway, so at the end, um, I showed a video about uh, the pilgrims and the struggles that the pilgrims went through to be able to get here to uh, America in hundreds of years ago and to be able to establish a ministry there. It's it an amazing story. And this monument that they built in, at Plymouth Rock, well, they didn't build it, but, but people built it with their, what they had come up with this formula for how this country could stay straight with the Lord. And, um, and so about 100 years or 200 years after they were here, the, the state there put up a, this gorgeous granite monument with all of these things around it that the pilgrims had as a way of being able to keep our country um, true to the Lord. And it's an amazing monument. But the struggles that they went through were just unbelievable. When we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter and 2 Peter are great books of our Bibles, talking about different persecutions and difficulties, 2 Peter dealing with prophecy. There's just so much richness in the, book of, the two books of 1 and 2 Peter. But these verses I want to concentrate on this evening, beginning at verse 3 of chapter 1 of um, 1 Peter. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom now, though now you see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's an amazing six or seven verses of scripture that we have, that we just looked at from 1 Peter. You know, Many of the liberals, a number of years ago, struggled with the idea that Peter could have written First and Second Peter, even though his name is in the very first verse. And one of the reasons that they gave was that he's a fisherman. And how could he write so eloquently as these verses of Scripture that we have here? Of course, we know the Bible teaches us the Holy Spirit gives guidance in what, we, what is written, but it flows through his person. His, his person. And Peter apparently had the personality to be able to take these words and think of the wonderful ministry that he had 
um, with the Lord for three years and how it changed his life, and yet could write something as beautiful as these verses that we just read. There's another reason why they struggle with Peter being the writer of this epistle, is that, hey, he traveled with the Lord supposedly three years, and yet he doesn't say much about what he experienced with the Lord, because you would think that somebody who traveled would say, well, this is what we did here, and this is what we did here, and this is what we did here. Well, Peter has one time in 2 Peter chapter 1, where he talks about the fact that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty in that the Mount of Transfiguration. But I think the point of it is this. The last words that the Lord Jesus gave to Peter that we find, that are recorded in Scripture, we find in John chapter 21. We had the famous breakfast meeting with the disciples after the resurrection. And the Lord looks at, at Peter and says, feed my sheep. He gives him instructions to feed the people that he was going to be ministering to beginning at Pentecost. And so he's looking at this years later and thinking, what can he say to people who are struggling with all the issues that they dealt with with persecution? I think, Lord, going back to the pilgrims and how they, they were persecuted in England and they thought that we can find refuge over in Holland. And they, they boarded, a, they, they paid off a, a ship captain to transport them over to Holland. And then that ship captain turned them in and took their money. And uh, they were put in prison. And they were, the men were divided off from their wives and families for a year. And then they got to Holland and they found out that that wasn't going to work out. So they ended up coming back to England. And then they boarded two ships, Mayflower and the Speedwell. And the Speedwell developed a, a leak in it. It had half the pilgrims. And, um, and it had to come back to the port in London and stay there, and only half of the pilgrims went. It, how, how they survived that, how they had the courage to be able to handle all that issue. And yet I go to this passage of Scripture, and I see what Peter is saying to all these people. Remember now, in the first couple of verses we didn't read, in verse 1 and 2, he's talking about the fact he's writing to the strangers who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, so on. So you see that, that they're writing to these, these people who have gone through a persecution that they knew very well was, they, they'd experienced it. We're coming up to the 4th of July celebration, time of remembering the beginning of our country. And it's interesting how we kind of flow these special days together, Memorial Day and the end of May, Flag Day, Fourth of July, all within about a month or so of each other. And so you see then there's a feeling of gratitude for the sacrifice and the courage of all those people that served in so many different ways in being able to help our country to get started and to be able to maintain what we have. I heard today that the last um, surviving member of, the, of um, those that those had, had the um, Medal of Honor from World War II passed away today. He was a Marine. It was, he was at Iwo Jima. He was 98 years old and talked about, I wasn't anything special. I, I was just a Marine doing my job. And listened to him as he talked a few years ago, giving testimony of his uh, work as a Marine. 
and passed away today. I mean, that generation understood the idea of what it was to sacrifice and to be able to, to work hard, to be able to, to keep the freedoms that we had away from the oppression that, we, that they could have been involved with. And yet Peter is writing to people who would understand that because they lost their homes. They were scattered away from their families. We don't know exactly what all happened to them, but they were under tremendous persecution from Nero, from uh, Domitian, and from uh, Trajan. And these, these folks that were Roman rulers that just hated Christians, especially Nero, and the is issues that they faced with all of them. So notice what he says here in this passage of Scripture. And uh, in beginning of verse 3, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a churchyard in, um, near Windsor Castle in England. And on one of those monuments there is a poem by a man by the name of Thomas Gray, who wrote this famous poem that's called Elegy Written in a Church Graveyard. And, um, or in, uh, Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. And one of the stanzas goes like this. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. And he understood that if we work for this world, this is, you know, you've got some glory that can come about, but it all goes to the grave. One of the things that Peter's trying to get across here is that, is it remarkable that you have sacrificed for the sake of the gospel? Yes. But it's not over here. We have the chance to be able to see that our hope is a living hope. Those that... Uh, like to play around with our Constitution. They like to be able to call themselves people who are looking at the Constitution as a living document. You ever heard that expression? Oh yeah, a living document. As opposed to something that's been written and this is the way it is and this is the way you, you interpret it. But those who would like to be able to have the liberal point of view that's a living document, you can just kind of, well, maybe they meant this. or. In our day and age, it can mean this. And so to them, living meant meddling with it. That's not what living means here. And that's not what he's wanting us to do in this passage of Scripture, is to think of that fact, well, it's not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal of what we have hope in. And, uh, and he's begotten us into this living Hope. So what is this hope? Well, this hope is built in the, in the, resur in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and that's, that's so much of, of the importance of it. In fact, um, when you get down to the end of this passage, I read verse 9, the culmination of this is the salvation of your souls. In other words, all this persecution, all that you've gone through, recognize what Jesus Christ has done for you. What does that all build up to? It all builds to the salvation of your souls. And so that's where this is moving, this whole section of verses 3 um, through 9 is building to that way. So now we look at this passage and we see that he's letting us know that uh, we have great blessings and we have great mercy. Um, a lot of, and I'm going to go back to this idea of this living hope, this lively hope. What, um, 
when you think of the word living, a lot of people like to be able to think of the word living as well, this living hope. Well, I hope everything turns out. You know, we've talked about that before. Is that what it means? No. Um, it's the idea there that um, this hope lives or increases as, as time goes by. Baseball has always been big in my family. Um, my mother and dad were season ticket holders at Cincinnati Reds for a number of years. And my mother met Johnny Bench, and I've got a picture of his arm around my mother. And um, we would go to ball games. And back then, uh, say back in the late 60s, early 70s, well, late 60s, because they were still playing at Crosley Field. For those of you who are baseball fanatics would remember that name. Crosley Field was a unique place to play baseball. It had a terrace on, one, on, on the right field and, and around it towards center. And the terrace meant that the ball players, when they were running to go fly, catch a fly ball, all of a sudden the ground would go up. And unless they figured that out or had played there or practiced that, they'd fall flat on their faces. It was a wonderful place to go watch other teams and uh, play. One time we went to see the St. Louis Cardinals play when, uh... do I hear an amen for that? Cardinals play back when Bob Gibson was pitching. For those of you who are familiar with the name Bob Gibson, he was a tremendous pitcher for a number of years. And the thing that was unique about him was that uh, people who wrote about him would say, well, he, he could start off fast. And most pitchers, when they would pitch, especially if they were 90-some mile an hour fastball pitchers, which at that time was really fast, that they would slow down as the game would go along. So you, if, you got, if you got to the second or third or fourth time that you faced him, you had a much better chance of getting a hit because his, his pitch would slow down maybe three or four miles an hour and give you enough time you could see it for just a speck longer and to be able to hit it. Bob Gibson would go faster as the game would go along, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and they pitched a lot of complete games. That his, his pitching got faster as it went along. And he was an amazing pitcher because of that. When you think of the living hope that we have in the Lord, a lot of times people are really excited when they come to the Lord as my personal Savior, and boy, things have changed, and it's wonderful, and I love the Bible, and I love singing the hymns, all more than three stanzas, and I love all that. And, but then through a process of time, it starts to kind of get, I get used to it. It gets a little bit, I don't want to say boring, but just it, it gets to be where it's not as exciting as it once was. The whole idea of the living hope is that it gets better. The closer we get to be with the Lord, the closer we are to the salvation of our souls, that that living hope is growing. It's not something that's diminishing in its vitality and its interest. I, I often think of those pilgrims. I wonder what was keeping them going day after day in those wooden boats where you had people that were dying of disease and all the issues and everything that happened with all of that. I wonder, what, how, I wonder what, how they kept going with all that. They had a vision for what they wanted to make as a country and to make as be able to place where they could worship freely. And that was something that was guiding them and getting them through each day. William Bradford was the first governor of 
leader of the pilgrims. His wife died the first year that they were there. She fell off the... The women and children stayed on the Mayflower for the first year every night because it was warmer, it was, it had light, so forth, and they had food there. The men would stay in, in the land and, and the ladies would, and the children would stay on the boat. First year, she fell off the side of the boat and drowned. William Bradford's wife was the first to lose her life of all those pilgrims. And there was quite a few, almost half died in that first winter, first year. So what kept them going? And, and so when Peter is writing this, and this is part of the amazing thing to me to think about, is what was keeping these people who were strangers and going all over these places. And if you look back at the Pentecost in that chapter 2 of Acts, it, that he lists Luke lists all these places that you find right here in 1 Peter. All these people that had been scattered away. And they, they come to Pentecost and they recognize the fact that they can understand the language. Because God gave them the abilities. And then all of a sudden they're scattered. You get to Acts 7 and 8 and Stephen's cruci- uh, Stephen is killed. And the people in the beginning of chapter 8 are being thrown off all over the places. And they're going, not just not just around Jerusalem, they were scattered everywhere. And Peter, bless his heart, he he comes to these people in the very first letter he writes, and he lets them know, you guys have a living hope. And notice just what he says about it. Abundant mercy is begotten unto us into a living or lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not just what I say, but of this resurrection that did take place and it was there to give you the guarantee of your salvation. But then then see this. And then to an inheritance. I love the words that he chooses. I I don't know how how long it took him to come up with this composition of these three through nine verses. But as he was thinking about what what are words that I can use that would make this meaningful to all of these people, who were scared to death of, the tra- of all the issues that they would have to face with the persecutions that were going on in Rome and then spread out through all the areas of, that they lived. And he says, so you guys have a living hope because of the resurrection, and you have an inheritance. Inheritance is something always that people get excited about. Now, lawyers will tell you that most people spend their inheritance within two years. But it's something that they have, and they look forward to that. And people have you know, said, well, I'm going to give these dishes away, or these clothing away, or this house away, or here's cash, or here's a farm, or here's this or that. But all of that fades after time. It, it, it's spent, or it's used, or, or people have lost it, or whatever. But Peter says here, we have an inheritance that can never corrupt never diminish in value. And that is something you can grasp a hold of to get you through these difficult times that you're living in. He says, incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it does not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven. For it's, it's if Peter is making each little phrase there to build upon the last one. 
And so the last one is even greater than the first one. Reserved in heaven for you. What better situation is that? And he says then, and he's, 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 he's working his mind as he's thinking through all these things, and he says, who are kept? That's a military term. This, you've got this garrison that's building this fortress around you this, that uh, is impregnable. And he says, who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. He says, therein, wherein you greatly rejoice. And he says, yes. And then as if he stops for a few minutes and he thinks about, well, I've got him excited now, but let's check in with reality. He said, although for a season, that's if for a little while, a little while, there'll be trials and difficulties that come your way. But he said, don't let that discourage you. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, it's interesting there, the idea of manifold temptations. Um, there's two ways of thinking about that. Uh, it could be a, a variance of degree of persecution or a variance of how many times it happens, the frequency. Some people might go through one persecution that's terrible, and other people might go through a lot of persecutions that are medium. They survive them or whatever. And so the whole idea of various is the idea of, of frequency as well as intensity. So you have both of these things weighing on this situation, and Peter is saying, uh, you have had heaviness through the various or manifold temptations that you deal with. And he said that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perish, though it be tried with fire. I read one time that an English goldsmith will keep gold in the fire until it gets hot enough that he can see his reflection in the gold. And sometimes God allows us to go through difficult situations so that we can see his face and we can see, sense his presence in the middle of the difficulties that we face. And he said, so you might be found into his praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then he gives this wonderful statement in verses 8 and 9. He says, whom you have not seen, you love. See, Peter had seen the Lord. He had been with him, but yet I, I, I think he was probably thinking, oh, there were times I... I I denied him three times. And I never will forget the look on his face when I denied him that third time. And I went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says. Peter did. But I think he was concentrating on what the Lord told him in John 21. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? What do you do? You talk about yourself and all the things that you did as a disciple? Do you hang your head and say, oh, I'm defeated, I can't do anything because of what I did in the Garden of Gethsemane? I, what, what do I do? And we go back to the fact that we struggle to keep ourselves focused on exalting the Lord. So him you have not seen, you loved. Though now you see him not. Yet believing, you rejoice with unspeakable and full of glory. Why could, they say, why could he say that about these people? Because they have something that he didn't have when he was a disciple. He didn't have the Holy Spirit living within him at that point. 
So they have the joy of having the Holy Spirit living within them to guide them and encourage them and direct them. And then it says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And that's, that's what's going to keep them going. I love passages of Scripture that, that deal with people. What God is doing in the hearts of people. And that's always a great thing to me because I value that. And so I think of these, the strangers, these people that he, some he knew, maybe some, most probably he didn't. But they were scattered, and he gives all the places. And I think it's interesting. He names all the places where they would have gone in being scattered. And the Lord was there to encourage them, and he wanted to give them words to build up their courage to serve the Lord, be faithful unto him in everything that they say and do. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.